Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided, through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks be to Freya, too. Freya, woo! nice job. Uh, and thanks, Allie, so much for the gracious and thoughtful and challenging way that you led us through reflecting on the trial that's happening this week, the events of last summer, last May, uh, when George Floyd was killed. Um, I appreciate that so much, and I echo everything that Allie said. Um, let's create spaces for one another. Uh, to wonder, to get angry, to ask questions, to look for the ways that we're not seeing everything that we can see. And let's do that together. Amen. All right. Um, So during a recent learning lab, uh, Andy Oldenburg, who is a teacher that goes to Genesis, he shared these three questions that he learned when he was taking a class on how to teach art right? So his professor said that when you're looking at a piece of art, you should ask these three delicious, juicy nuggets of questions. I'm not sure if the prof actually said juicy nuggets for the questions, but they are juicy nonetheless. What's going on here? What do you see that makes you say that? And what more can we find? What's going on here? What do you see that makes you say that? And what more can we find? I mean, I love those questions. And Bible nerd that I am, I was like, those are the questions that we should be asking every time we open the scriptures. But I want to share a piece of art with you. 
And what we're going to do, I hope, is we are going to use the chat to ask and answer those questions. So when I put this on the screen, uh, you can uh, you can answer the question what it is that you see. All right. So here is the piece of art. Make sure you're moving your chat around or your pictures around uh, so that you can see the full picture. So let's do the first question. What is going on here? <laughs> Burninator by Nate. I don't even know what that is, Nate. Oh my goodness, maybe that makes me uh, too old. And then Bethany, dragon, <laughs> laugh out loud. Yes, there is a dragon in the manger scene. That's what's happening. For Maddie, Jesus Christ, mother of dragons. <laughs> As Danny Cook said on Facebook this morning when I shared it, it's perhaps the Game of Thrones manger mashup that we've all been waiting for. Uh, Nativity with Mushu. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, God is the God of all creation, even dragons. Hannah, yes. Um, Burninating the countryside. Again, someone's going to have to let me in on the Burninator. I am such a 50-year-old old man right now. But yes, Allie clearly gets it. Um, Laura, my six-year-old uh, got into his grandmother's nativity scene, <laughs> Burninating the peasants. <laughs> yes, yes. Love it. Love it. Drogador, yes, yes, yes. Um, so, uh, what makes you say that you guys, what makes you say that this is the burninator? Uh, oh yes, Rebecca. Yes. I noticed too, that the, uh, first, the family of Jesus in this art is white, which they certainly would not have been in the first century. I noticed that Nate, you haven't left this church in a long time. Well, I am, I am so grateful to provide you for that. Uh, what makes you say what you said? <laughs> Colin said the dragon likes the baby. <laughs> yes, I love that too. I love that too. What do you think, Junia? Okay, this is from Sloan. Harry Potter Bible mashup. I say that because there's dragons in Harry Potter and the manger scene is from the Bible. Yes, Sloan, way to go. And Jane, everyone is so clean, which they certainly would not have been right after the birth of our Lord and Savior. <laughs> Nate, reminds me of that weird book of Revelation stuff. We'll get to that later, but you're totally right. Revelations 12, to be, to be exact, that depicts that at the birth of the lamb, there was a red dragon with a bunch of horns. <laughs> weird, weird. All right, I'm going to stop the share. And we'll get back to it, I promise you. Uh, so just keep that picture in your mind. And thanks to Andy Oldenburg for those three questions. We're going to use those questions to walk through the scripture portion today. So uh, I'm going to ask you to reflect on that. So what's going on here as I read the scripture portion back to you again? Remember, we're using the word portions, Jewish phrase instead of text. Portion sounds more delicious text sounds more like we're studying for an exam. And I don't want to study for exams. I didn't do well at exams. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, Hannah, Mary looks so good after bringing a new baby into the world, which maybe she did, but she probably didn't. 
<laughs> okay, let me read this to you again. Uh, the who uh, the Verhages did such a great job reading it, at, but I'm going to read it again and ask. I'm going to ask the question right afterwards. So, so what is going on here? For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. I like that word, thwart. Uh, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through our wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. What is going on? And we're not going to try to figure it out why things are going on. Just we're noticing what's going on. So that was written by Paul to a community of followers of Jesus that lived in a city called Corinth. Huge port city that lots and lots of different people, lots and lots of different religious cultures, lots and lots of different ways of thinking. And this little probably house church was gathering together reading this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. So what's going on? Anyone take a stab? Hi, Cullen. Hey, buddy. All right, Danny Cook. Sounds like the Corinthians were being mocked for their faith and Paul was trying to reassure them. Woo, that's good. Because the foolishness and wisdom. Uh, Allie, Paul's embracing the absurdity of the gospel. Yes, yes. Keep going. What is going on here? There's so many words in this passage, isn't there? It's like, <laughs> and some of you guys are like, okay, this is what we pay you to do, queens. <laughs> Tell us what's going on. And I'm throwing it right back at you. What is going on here? Well, keep sharing your stuff. Uh, Wordplay, Mary says word redefinition, word comparisons. Yes, if you're a literary major, you're noticing how many times words are used, foolishness and wisdom. And these are words that are bandied about, thrown about, discussed, but it seems like Paul is turning each of them on their heads or changing the price tags on each of them, making one much more valuable and make, like foolishness and making another, like wisdom, much less valuable. Woo, so good. Thank you, Mary. Wordplay, word redefinition, word comparisons. Maybe that'll be the title of my sermon. There seems to be at the very least a debate among the people that Paul is writing to, this little church at Corinth, concerning who truly understands the message of the cross. And there also seems to be some debate and some confusion about what the message of the cross is. And I just wanna note that 2000 years later, we are still having those conversations and seem to be still just as confused on both matters. Can I get an amen on that? Who truly understands the message of the cross and what the message of the cross even is? So let's go there. Um, what do I say, see that makes me say that? Okay, I'll just answer that question. I'll, so what's going on here? Seems to be a debate. 
about what the nature of the cross is, the message of the cross, and who really understands it. What do I see that makes me say that? Well, in verses 18 and 19, I'll read it to you again. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom, the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now, the word for foolishness is a Greek word called moria. And yes, you Lord of the Rings nerds, same word as in the Fellowship of the Ring. When they go underground, they battle the Balrog and all that stuff. I won't do any spoilers for those who still haven't read or seen the Lord of the Rings. But moria. It's from the root word moros, which means dull or stupid, absurd. It's where we get the word moron <laughs> okay it's from moros dull uh one of my commentaries said it means blockhead and i'm like hmm thank you charlie brown uh so that's the word foolishness the word saved is sozas means to be saved from perishing to rescue from danger or destruction so we have a message that's foolishness to one group of people but it's power to another group of people. Um, and then there's this odd thing that it says, for it is written. Now, what does that mean when you read in the scriptures when it says, for it is written? It means that it is written somewhere else in the scriptures. So it's a smart thing to try to figure out where that is. Because there's usually, when, when a writer says, for it is written, and especially when Jesus says that, he, you're usually going to find part of the message that they want you to hear, but also they're going to leave one part out. But that part that they really want you to hear is embedded in that place that it's written. Does that make sense? Jesus did this all the time. And so when Paul says, for it is written, he's quoting Isaiah 24, 14. What he leaves out and what he really wants you to understand is this. The Lord said, because these people draw near with me with, with their mouths and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote. So I will again do amazing things with this people, shocking and amazing things. Sounds like our former president right there. Uh, the wisdom of their wives shall perish and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. Okay, that's the quote. But what Paul wants you to hear is that part above the quote that he doesn't quote, which is there's a group of people that sound like they understand the message of the cross, that, that they sure look like they're honoring God with their lips. They're saying all the right things. They are writing all the right emails. They're posting all the right Facebook posts. Their worship services have all the right language, but they are far from God. And so God says their, their wisdom shall perish and their discernment shall be hidden. And so there's something about that that Paul wants this community to learn because there's some debate and there's Jews and Greeks. And um, for Jews in verse 22 demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but re we proclaim Christ crucified. Now, don't hear that as like the others, those outside of the community. These are the people inside the community, Jews inside the Christian community and Greeks inside the Christian community that are having this debate about what is the nature of the message, right? And I'm going to get back to the chat here. Um, Joan, yes, the experts were saying lots and lots of things. 
Um, and Nate and those people are definitely never me. <laughs> Love the humility there. Yes, this is us. It's another thing when you're reading the Bible, if you see yourself as a certain group of people all the time and see, uh, and that is the group of people that always God um, seems to be defending and never challenging, then you probably need to expand the view. Snaps. For Jews demand, demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified. So just super quick, what, what, what Paul's saying there is that Jews demand signs. He's not talking about like signs from the heavens or miracles. He's talking about things like circumcision or following the, uh, the commandments, following the laws, right, of, of the people, um, uh, following the laws of God. So those are the signs, like, are you a true believer or not? And that's going to be shown by the things that you've done. So um, for Jews demand signs. Yep. Are you circumcised? Do you follow the mitzvot, the 613 laws? But Greeks desire wisdom. And the word for wisdom is Sophia. It means wise, skilled in letters, cultivated or learned. So kind of picture a group of people uh, sitting around, talking, debating, uh, looking at the original languages, for example, and going, oh, that's so amazing and so cool. And oh, that's who they want to unlock the hidden mysteries of God. And Paul is saying neither of those is uh, uh, necessary nor sufficient. <laughs> and neither of those are the same as proclaiming the message of Christ crucified. So I want to stop and I want to ask what questions or comments do you have so far? Because this is just, I know, this is the deep end. I kind of wish I wouldn't have picked this passage because it's so thick and heady. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm enough of a nerd to where I'm loving it. But I want to pause. What questions do you have so far? What are you noticing so far? Questions, comments, thoughts. Okay, keep asking, use the chat, I'll stop and I'll address them, but I'll keep going. So the Jews demanded signs, Greeks desired wisdom, but verses 23 through 25, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So that's the end of the portion, and that's what we'll get to. Uh, Nate, we are saved by grace through faith, not by having an accurate understanding of what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Thank you, Nate, for bringing that up, because I think you're right. That can quickly become, that idea of being saved by grace through faith can quickly become just another way to uh, desire wisdom or to demand a sign because you got to get it right. You got to say it right. You got to do it right. You got to believe it right. You got to believe it in a certain way. Um, so we've been talking about those who are being saved and those who are perishing and now, and, and, and those who are foolish and those who are wise. And I think Mary rightly said it. We've been talking about the, um, the, 
uh, word plays and word redefinitions. Now, all, all of a sudden, we're talking about Christ being crucified. Uh, so we need to ask, like, what's the progression here that Paul wants us to see? What's the more that Paul wants us to see? What aren't we seeing yet that maybe we can see? Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates God's own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's my question about that. How can that be? That's my honest question. How can that be? Because what about all the sinners who were born and who died before Christ came? For example, Moses, Abraham, David, Ruth, Naomi, and Esther. How can they be saved by Christ when they died before Christ came and when they died before Christ died? How can this be true for them too? And Pam, foolish or wise in whose estimation exactly? Now we're going to get there, right? In whose estimation? Because the foolish call, one side of the foolish folks call one side foolish, and the other side of the foolish folks call the other side foolish, and we both think we're wise. So in whose estimation? Okay, so hang with me. How can it be that God demonstrates God's own love for us in this? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I want to bring up uh, a noticing that we had last week that it's many of us believed in a theology of Christ crucified that said something like God is righteous and God cannot stand any sin. God has complete wrath over all sin. And so we were going to be punished instead of, um, uh, so we were going to be punished in order for God's wrath to be satisfied, but angry father sent willing son and poured all his wrath on that son so that we could be made right. And many of us have believed that that's about the only view of atonement that there is. And I argued a couple of weeks ago that that's just bad theology, that that's the only atonement. And it's a theology that makes us, uh, that invites us to believe in a God that's simply angry with us. And that's cognitive dissonance, right? So this verse in Romans 5, God demonstrates God's own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And my question, how can that be? What about all the other people that died that were sinners before Christ died and came? So there's a New Testament theologian called Dr. Robert Mulholland. He died a few years ago. But he said this, and I'll take this slowly because it's deep. But he, he wrote this. The cross is not something God did around the year 30 AD on a hillside outside Jerusalem. The cross is a revelation in history of the very essence of God's nature as cruciform love. The cross is not something God did. The cross is something God is that, that through which God demonstrates God's love. Now let's get back to that funky picture <laughs> that I shared. And someone said that it was right that uh, it comes from Revelation. Revelation 12, there's this, and by the way, Revelation is not about a prediction of the end times or you know a prediction when certain things are gonna happen. It's a socio-political statement 
about the nature of the gospel over and against the wisdom of our time. And so Revelation is simply a prophetic um, word about the nature of the cross and cruciformity, which is cross-shaped love, and over and against the, the wisdom of, of, the, of the world and, and that the government and that Caesar is Lord and all that stuff. So in Revelation 12, we see this weird thing that John sees a vision of a woman about to give birth, but then a great red dragon appears on the scene. And I'll read these verses to you. And yes, we are in absolute, utter, weird Bible weirdness right now. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. So this is the vision. And then it says, but her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. Now taken to God, according to Mulholland, indicates that Jesus ascended to heaven, but he says snatched means to take something that's in the possession of another. So Mulholland believes that by when, when Revelation 12 says that that's the son, the baby was snatched, he said that it means the dragon got the child. And this is why in Revelations 13, we read that the lamb was slain before the foundation of time. And this is why Mulholland says that the cross is not something that God did, but the cross reveals the essence of God's character. Because in this vision, we see before the foundation of the world, the baby being born, the weakness of God being born in front of a dragon who snatched it away. And man, that looks foolish. If the most powerful being in the world wanted to demonstrate the power of that eternal being, they would do something that would look a whole lot more like dominance. Uh, like the end of the Game of Thrones, that very last scene where the city is burned. But instead, before the foundation of the earth, the, the world, God shows herself to be utterly loving, to present herself vulnerably as a child, to be snatched away by the root of all evil. And so that is why we can believe if God did that before the foundations of the world, if God did that to show the nature of who God is, then yes, Moses, David, Abraham, Ruth, Esther, Naomi, and all of us everywhere can be saved by that God who was crucified then. And Jesus, who was crucified around the year 80, AD 30, is a revelation in history of something that existed before that event. And I know that is the depths of theology, but can I get an amen about the goodness of that God who shows up in weakness and vulnerability to save us and love us, not from God's wrath, but because we've been kidnapped by evil and sin and the ransom, the rescuer, this God shows up to save us before the foundation 
of the world. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And that basically means that, remember like the people like the Samaritan woman at the well, people like Hagar from a couple weeks ago, the people that who are assumed to be utterly despised and rejected by the religious community and by God, they're the ones who understand grace first because they're desperate. The ingredient is not what you believe, but how desperate you are for a God to save you because you can't save yourself. And that's the message of the cross. It's foolishness to those who need to demand a sign or who need to believe in a certain right doctrine. Uh, uh, but it's, it's the power of God to those who are being saved because they're desperate enough. The cross is not something God did, Mulholland writes, around AD 30 on a hillside outside Jerusalem. The cross is revelation in history of the very essence of God's nature as cruciform or cross-shaped love. Nate writes, I'm very interested in non-transactional takes on the cross. Yes, the cross showed what was always true about God. Yes, that she has united herself to humanity, even humanity's pain and death, not separated from the slavery as sin, but in the midst of it. Yes, not that God made a way for us to come to her, but that God came to us. Yes, yes, yes. Nate, thank you for summarizing that so well. And the reason why I quote Dr. Mulholland is because he is a preeminent New Testament theologian. Like this is not just my thoughts or, you know, like Rob Bell's thoughts or the latest person. This is someone who is a preeminent New Testament theologian that is saying this. And I think it, it is good news for any of us who have felt like we cannot enter into Christianity or believing in God anymore because there's just way too many questions that are not answered satisfactorily. And I'm not saying this answers all the questions by any stretch, but if the message of the cross really is that God always for all time before the foundation of the world loved us and that when Jesus went to the cross, it simply reveals the love that was already there then and makes a way uh, because God has come to us, then I agree with Nate, that's a profoundly different gospel, right? That's a profoundly different gospel. It makes, it, it opens the gates up for anyone who's hungry enough for it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.